welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. And I'm Ron Swallow. And I'm producer Bill. And today we are jumping right into the zeitgeist headfirst because as these strikes are allegedly coming to an end, one of the major topics of discussion has to be what does the future of movies look like? And we have our take on that very topic. So today we are looking at what is the greatest future, the way they can survive and thrive, movies in the near future. Starting off, I would like to say we're going to take on streaming at, at towards the end, I guess. But like as far as the movie theater experience, we have all been to the movies a lot recently. I think all of us have seen Mission Impossible. What's interesting about Mission Impossible is I personally have built Mission Impossible and the Tom Cruise Enterprise in, in my head to be like an undefeatable juggernaut. And that didn't seem to be the case this year. Now, you know me, I'm loath to talk about box offices, though box office numbers are kaiju punching each other all across the uh, sure. city skyline. I hate that. I fucking yeah. hate that. But it didn't do a Barbie numbers. But Barbie is such an outlier that it's sort of, it bends the curve, right? It bends the grading curve of where we're at. Because technically, this is still the rebound year from COVID and you know, things aren't coming back as strongly as everybody would have hoped, but there have still been hits. And I mean, Mission Impossible was not a flop, but yes, it did not live up to what they were hoping it would do. So I think, you know, it's worth discussing, is that the movie's fault? Is that the marketing marketing's fault? Is that the audience's fault? Whatever. Not that we're using box office as the be-all end-all metric, but certainly box office matters when you're talking about the future of movies and will theaters continue to be sort of a central part of the experience of movies? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because, shall we say, Barbenheimer, uh, <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because it was also kind of luck. Some young people decided it was funny to say Barbenheimer and turned it into a thing. And then a bunch of people went to see both movies. But I would also say both of those movies are good and did do a great job marketing. So, yeah, and I would also argue with the idea that it's luck because that's a case of the studios. And I don't know who made this decision on which side of the equation, but that's the studios actually putting two big budget tenpole productions up against each other, which is something that they've been trying to avoid doing like the plague for like 10 years now. Yeah, maybe it's good that they did that because now that just gives two good movies to pe for people to see at the same time, you know? Well, I mean, but it's also like one thing I don't want us to do with recency bias is lose the fact that it's just classic um, counter-programming. They of do course. that all the time. They used to do it all the time. Like when, they used when, to. Speed, when Speed was out, some on Golden Pond ass shit came out right at the same time. Like, you know, you people don't want to go see Keanu Reeves play an empty vessel on a bus. Come uh, on and come on and watch these old people fishing and learning to love again or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's classic, <laughs> classic yeah. counter programming. So it's like I just think it's like, yeah, it's a it's a resurgence of good counter programming of it actually like working. But also going back to the Mission Impossible point, uh, we talked briefly on our, our last episode about how Mission Impossible seems to have gotten out of the way of Fast X, which didn't mm -hmm. set the world on fire either just to get plowed under by Barbie. Like it almost thought the people, you know, at Skydance and them thought that they could beat, you know, I'm saying Paramount thought that they could beat Barbie. You know what I'm saying? They thought that they could at least compete 
with Barbie's opening weekend being like their second weekend. And I just think that's so weird that they would get out of the way of one just to get plowed under by the other. And I'm not saying it was some given also that Barbie would do well. We've all seen people try to do a blatant cash grab on a on an on an IP and not do a good job with a movie and 100%. fail uproariously. I just I, yeah, we're gonna see uh, some very failed Mattel toy movies come out very soon because this well, did so well and I don't think they understand why it did well and they're going to make some real bad like Rock'em Sock'em Robots is coming out guys it's uh, it's a tough thing though because it's not that they don't understand why it did well it's that they can't replicate it and when we say yeah. they we mean you know the corporate overlords the people who are working in the studios as development executives or what have you because ultimately what made Barbie great was that they found a very inspired choice of like a very sort of indie writer director um, and her collaborator and just sort of gave them free reign. And like, that's a strategy that is about the riskiest thing possible because that can also turn out to be a huge disaster. And that's not necessarily replicable because it could be a huge disaster. You know what I mean? So it's like, in trying to reach the same audience that Barbie reached, you're just going to see a lot of cynical reverse engineering of like, okay, we're not going to necessarily pluck some writer-director right at the exact right time of their rise who gels perfectly with this material, but what we can do is X, Y, Z, and like that always is diminishing returns. Well, I mean, I just think it's also like there's this weird... uh... I don't want to call it a false binary, but like there are people who say like, you know, uh, Barbie hit like a certain zeitgeist the way that Black Panther hit a certain zeitgeist, the way that Captain Marvel hit a certain zeitgeist. This sort of like this is a movie for people right now who want to talk. And this movie is saying what they want to say on some level or saying it better than they could say. And I think there's a lot of that that they could do frankly with boys toys i don't want to be a jerk and be like yeah where is that for boys but like the fact that the last transformers movie i watched uh rise of the beast man they were so close to making that a nice little thing for little boys to have a nice little resurgence with that brand and like the way they made like the human character like kick it with the transformers and like kind of be a transformer on some level and just they really kind of almost did it and then they just sort of cgi the hell out of it at the end well, that's that's an interesting thing that you say that because ultimately, I don't know if you can really carve out a new space for yourself without changing your aesthetics. And I think that's something you saw Barbie do. It just embraced an aesthetic that you're not seeing in any other movie. And I just saw Ninja Turtles yesterday as we're recording this. That's something mm-hmm. that that movie did extraordinarily well. And mm-hmm. by the way, in the tradition of, you know, into and across the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. it it looks and plays and feels completely different, but it's that same sort of like, hey, if we're going to do animation, let's create our entirely own style that can just live with this movie. So when you have that sort of experimentation going on and then you drop maybe even a well-written, well-directed Transformers movie into the mix, but it looks and feels the same as all the mm-hmm. Michael Bay movies, mm-hmm. are you, are you going to cut through? And I would yeah. say no. And that to me, yeah. that's kind of a good thing. I yeah. like the fact that audiences have been responding to weird aesthetic choices. And largely, I mean, even when you look at Fast X, when you look at the underperformance of Mission Impossible, 
these things that are sort of cut from the standard action adventure cloth, it's just not as exciting as it used to be. Yeah, and then at the same time, there's stories of people who drove like a hundred miles to go see Oppenheimer in an IMAX theater so that it could be seen the way it was supposed to be seen. So, I mean, like, you know, you get, you hear a story like that and it makes you think that the people who are negative about movie theaters and about the, the future of them and future of movies might be missing something because maybe people are smarter than we think they are while also being dumb. I mean, I, yeah, you never want to give the mob too much credit. I, of course. I will say, though, that I do think Christopher Nolan is a little bit of his own thing in this conversation. That's true. Um, you know, absent maybe a Tarantino, it's like you just don't have that guy whose name carries so much clout with a general audience that they'll like listen to what he says when he says to see the movie this way. Like we're, we're in a point where even if Spielberg or Scorsese were to come out and be like, hey, if you're going to see my movie, make sure you see it this way. I don't think people would really respond. But yeah. Christopher Nolan just occupies this sort of rarefied space, especially in the online cinephile circles mm -hmm. that people people fucking buy in. So then here's another question. One of the things we were talking about at Comic-Con at a panel I did was the idea that maybe movie stars are dying out and that there aren't a lot of young movie stars anymore. Um, and that might, that possibly part of that is because of streaming. I mean, there, there could be multiple reasons for that, but it does look like the guys who, the movie stars that like your Tom Hanks, your Tom Cruise. Yeah. We've, I mean, we've talked about this phenomenon before and I, I think it's inarguably happening. You know, you're not getting, the the movie star as we knew it back in the 90s well okay. the one thing i think we left out of that conversation though um is the i think it's this lack of um uh, they don't really make the movies for them to do that it isn't just that they're trapped in ip hell it's just like the things that made people movie stars back in the days it was like uh the, he was one lonely cattleman who fought against the river and he saved a lady and and it's like a two hour and 50 minute movie from a giant novel or something usually mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where this guy just poured his heart into McMurtry, the, the lone farmer on the, <laughs> in the against the flood, you know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. like, you just get to watch McMurtry's face as the fucking flood is taking his fucking house away. And he's, he's on a little dinghy. He's sitting in his fucking chimney at the end, screaming at the sky, you know, type of goofy movies that they used to make these dramas. And those made movie stars. Yeah. These days, how the fuck are you gonna be a movie star reacting to a goddamn transformer? I'm a <laughs> hey Moonraker. What? Why are you running on that wall? How the fuck are you gonna make a movie star out of that? It's an interesting dovetail with some of the stuff we've already talked about. Where you know, if you want a movie star, you have to give the actor a chance to fucking act mm -hmm. instead of just being a prop or a set piece. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like when. Uh... The, who's the guy from Yoda with the the Mandalorian with the accent? He played the evil guy in the first season. Werner Herzog, one of the yeah. great living directors. Yeah, my favorite thing that he said about that was, he was like, "Don't be a coward. Talk to that puppet. You act to that puppet." <laughs> but is it easier to act to a puppet than it is to a green screen version of, of the puppet? It is. 
Of course. Yeah. And, and Herzog is the guy to tell you that, too. Herzog is also on record. One of my favorite of many Herzog quotes is just the matter-of-fact statement with no additional context that we suffer from a paucity of satisfactory images. That's, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> that is his opinion about culture. We yeah. suffer from a paucity of satisfactory images. And, you know, famously, he's the guy who built an entire sailing ship in the middle of the jungle and lugged it up a mountain for the sake of shooting his movie. So it's like, I I get that. And his whole thing is like, if you want it to be real, it's got to be real, which is also Tom Cruise's whole thing, right? Yeah. And and they make that. I think that makes for better movies. It's just my opinion, though, because you know that's how a lot of this stuff works when it comes to art. It's subjective. And well, I mean, this I I know what you're saying. What my part of it is, I don't. I think it's starting to become less and less opinion that movies shot where you know that nobody's ever in any fucking danger at all. Like it's it's less and less opinion that those are not exciting. We're yeah. seeing more and more examples of that being absolutely not exciting, even to the baseline customer who likes the product. Therefore, I think we're going to go into, as far as the future, you talk about the future of movies, I think it's stunts, baby. I think hmm. it's actual stunts, actual sort of dangerous shit that that we employ like more and more like Cirque du Soleil guys to do some of the comic book action. I've been fantasizing about this for like my whole life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like trying to like, hit, like they do certain things in movies, like hidden trampolines for people to jump on and shit like that. But I'm talking about like a straight up acrobatic routine done by a real person. And we fake them hitting people as he's doing all the flips and bouncing off the walls and shit. But it's a real person doing all of that for a whole unbroken shots. And then we land and it's Tom Cruise. Well, we sort of deep fake the bottom of his mouth, but it doesn't matter because we're on to the next shot. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't do that. They do a CGI motherfucker doing all that shit or a billion cuts of shit. That it's incomprehensible. And it just doesn't have the stuff like the raid we talked about last uh, thing. All I'm saying is I think stunts and looking at the Indonesian and, and Asian way of doing stuff again, we 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 jacked wire work because it seemed like it was easy and it was an easy aesthetic to mimic. And then we ruined that. Well, you yeah. see how most people don't even do wire work anymore or it's really hidden now. You know what I'm saying? It's usually pretty, you know, it's kind of passe. Sure. We got to start biting some new shit. We bit water, wire work and throw it to the ground. We need to bite the way that uh, I'm telling you, what's the name of the dude that does the raid? When the dude jumps off of a balcony and then his back slams onto the back of another uh, 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 on on another balcony and he like breaks his own back like Bane, and he do that in one unbroken shot. Why? Where's that in our movies that cost a billion dollars? Well, I mean, the closest thing is Tom Cruise jumping rooftop to rooftop, and you know that they used the shot where he actually broke his leg jumping mm-hmm. on, on that one roof. Mm -hmm. which is actually another whole ancillary tangent here is like when you do for real stunts, that also becomes part of your marketing. Right. And like, that's a whole new way to market the movie is like, Oh no, this shit all really happened. Like come see Mm -hmm. how ridiculous it is, which Mm -hmm. is really what Tom Cruise has been using as sort of his, you know, unique selling proposition in marketing terms. It's the same yeah. thing in in Top Gun Maverick, where it's like, no, no, we're really flying these planes, and you mm-hmm. can watch us do it. But it's it's also sort of the smartest dissection of what makes social media work. You know what I mean? Because yeah. ultimately, like, what keeps you scrolling on Instagram or TikTok 
it's seeing real people do shit that you're not expecting them to do. And whether that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. Whether that's like really dumb shit or whether that's like really impressive, like, oh, watch this guy swing a rope across a gorge and then backflip into the water, whatever it is. It's like you're intrigued because it's a real person doing something that you couldn't possibly um, predict. With Barbie, it is the most confusing thing in the world to go to a, a, a movie. A lot of mm. people, when you see Barbie, you think that's a movie to sell kids toys. Sure. Like, that's what that exists for. Why would I why would I pay to go do that? And then you go to it and it pulls off telling you this amazingly deep story and interesting idea that you totally don't expect from it while also selling you toys. It is mind-boggling that they pulled that off in any way shape or form. So much of the marketing of Barbie was really just about look at how goofy this all looks. But because they had so much other shit going on that was intriguing, they could go through all their marketing and never once hint at that, which I think is amazing. And that makes yeah. me think of, of Mission Impossible as well. Like the fact that you can just hype up, Tom Cruise is going to jump off a cliff on a motorcycle and survive allows you to not actually reveal like, oh, this is a movie about an out of control AI that's trying to take over the world. So then when you go in to watch it, you can actually experience like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, this is weird. <laughs> but I think that's a commonality between both of those movies. And I honestly, I think that applies to Oppenheimer as much as Christopher Nolan is his own equation. So much of that movie's marketing was about, look at this technical shit that we did. Like, if you see it, it's a, it's an 11 mile long film reel. If you see it in its preferred format, I'm going to see it this week. I still have no idea like what the actual hook of the movie is. Like, obviously it's about the creation of the atomic bomb, but like, I have no idea how they're going to tell that story or break it up or why. And I think this kind of goes hand in hand with what Ed is talking about. It's like, mm. when you can put shit on screen that sort of sells itself, that allows you to hold back a lot more stuff that creates a more exciting movie going experience as opposed to something like a fast and the furious movie where it's just like, well, you know what this is going to be. So let me just show you the villain and show you the coolest car stunts. And when you show up for the movie, you're just like, all right, I'm going to see that. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause like what you're basically saying is that uh, you should market your movies. Like it's a magic trick. It's 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 hmm. it's literally like, hey, look over here. This is what we're doing. Oh, no. Once you show up, it's completely something different. But that made you interested in what we were doing when people first saw Barbie and was like, this is not what I expected and start spreading that information. Women were literally posting every day on for like a, a solid week talking about how it made them cry. And also, though, my my only I've got to say I do have to see Barbie, yay! But I, I the one thing that's it really is much bothering than me. You think. No, it's not about it's not about me acting like it's going to be bad or anything. But this like it was magic that they picked Greta Gerwig. Dude, Greta Gerwig is like one of the most like decorated woman directors. Period. That's true. And she did fucking Little Women in the twenty first century. You know what I'm saying? And you know what I'm saying? It, and, and we go way back to stuff like Francis Ha, you know what I'm saying? Where she's just like, hey, man, I'm me. I'm me in a weird world. And, you know, just ever, ever since she like hatched, 
she had this really interesting point of view and i just think and then she started getting awards and shit and it's always about like a young girl's experience i'm just like that's sort of a slam dunk with barbie now though i don't think anybody expected that all that set design and i don't think people expected that cohesive of a world where she's not wink she's winking at it but in a way that everybody digs you know what i mean yeah i look i i don't mean to say that greta gerwig was like some magical diamond in the rough that you know they managed yeah. to find. Like she clearly is a known quantity, but it's more so like just the fact that you take this indie darling director with a very well-developed point of view who kind of has her own lane and don't try to bring her in and integrate her into some style. You just go, mm. hey, can you do this and just kind of do whatever the fuck you want? Like that's yeah. oh, the decision yeah. that's crazy. Well, la- last rebuttal to that is Hasbro ain't doing that. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. Hasbro ain't letting goddamn some French motherfucker. I directed Lahane and a movie about gladiators in uh, eight, 1986. Yeah, I want to do Transformers. You know, <laughs> they're just I, I, fucking no, know. no. They're literally but, not going to do that. And they should, is what I'm saying. And oh, they yeah. definitely should do that. I'm telling you, give the dude that did the raid fucking G.I. Joe. And give him thirty-six million dollars <laughs> and fucking yes. go. Yeah, and and we'll stretch that thirty-six million dollars oh to be the coolest great. movie you've ever fucking seen. One hundred percent agreed. I mean, the thing that really struck me watching Barbie was like, um, if you substitute violence for patriarchy and skew it for you know little boys instead of little girls, as much as it was skewed. That was our He-Man pitch from fucking Rebooted, right? This idea of, like, the real world's shittiness, like, reality checks these toys who are living sort of this fantasy idealized life. And, like, how do you reconcile that? Like, that is our Rebooted He-Man pitch. By the way, plug, go to YouTube, look up Rebooted, find our He-Man pitch. It's one of our finest works. But, like, that, that in and of itself just tells me, like, the fact that they made a big budget IP movie out of something that sounds like a bunch of movie geeks, like pie in the sky, blue skying what a movie could be. Yeah. Is good. That's fucking yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, it also shows we're in the zeitgeist. We're, 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 oh, we're the plugged Gerwig dude, zeitgeist. Dude, that Ninja Turtles movie shared a lot in common with our Ninja Turtles pitch as well. Like, did it? The, the, this is one of the reasons why I think it's been difficult for us to return to reboot it because it's like we keep seeing things happening and they keep replicating everything that we're talking about. So, really, maybe the future of movies is just listen to us. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I agree. I agree 100% with that. Let me ask you guys something. What what makes you want to go to movies? Well, okay, I'll say for myself, it is really all about spectacle, and it really is all about a, a brand loyalty to a certain sort of um, action or acting, and mm. usually both. Like, I will always go see John Wick. As disappointed as it was in John Wick 4, save your fucking letters. Um, <laughs> as disappointed as it was in John Wick 4, when they do John Wick 5 and his hand kung fu's out of the grave, I'm going to go see the shit in the movie theater, period. If they do another Top Gun, the Top Gun fights in space, I'm right there. They, mm-hmm. The next Mission Impossible, I'm right there. Uh, so that that to me is the way to get me. And like, if they ever did anything, I don't think I'm going to go see another Marvel solo hero 
movie in the movie theater. We could talk about that a little bit later, but like, oh, I don't, I think, I don't think, it, I don't think it's a slam diggity dunk that I'm gonna go. My girlfriend's going to make me go see Captain Marvel too. Sure. She won't have to drag me hard. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm gonna go see, um, I'm gonna see my girl Monica Rambeau. I'm gonna go see, you know, uh, I'm gonna go see them having fun with the concepts of comics, which I'm always down with. Yeah. As people know, uh, this podcast uh, liked the She-Hulk. So if you're one of those, yeah, fuck off. No, I don't want to <laughs> shit on your opinion. There were certain shoddy aspects. There were certain blah, blah, blah. But in the end, it's She-Hulk. She's a joke. They let her be a joke because she's a joke. And that's awesome. And she's also yeah. can be a cool hero while also being a joke. Like everybody let Deadpool be. And like she did well before Deadpool. That's been well documented. So like, yeah, I'd love to see these Marvel gals have a nice fight against a woman, have it keep it all woman. Hey, fuck it, man. You know, I, I can't hate on that. But beyond that, I don't, I don't see a future where I go see any of that shit. And the Blade movie's on hold. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so it, it's That's changing is what I'm saying. It's changing for me what I'm just willing to go see the movies. And I went to go see Indiana Jones. And that was the last time. If they brought Indiana Jones back, and John Wick was playing him. It's just Keanu Reeves in full John Wick clothes, like a whole a suit, but with a leather jacket over it and a fedora hat on, and he's karate and everybody. I still wouldn't go see it. I'm sorry, I'm obligated to bring up Indiana Jones, the one franchise that did not adhere to what we said on Reboot It. And you see what happened. Notorious flop. So yeah, yeah. Get your shit together. Listen to us. Um, I do want to say I think that Marvel might have suffered from success. Maybe that sounds weird, but I was thinking about like when 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 they first started doing Iron Man and Captain America and coming together with Avengers and, you know, going through that whole slew of things that were mostly 87 percent hits. Sure, they spent money on those movies, but it wasn't like half a billion dollars on the movie, you know, 400 million dollars on the movie. A little bit of the quality has dropped from how hard they worked on the CG Right. Because for a long time, we got the best CG in Marvel. And then all yeah, of a sudden we got a little less good. Yeah. I mean, just to jump in, you know, I, I know some people who know some people and it's really just more the delivery schedule of the Disney Plus shows on top oh, of making the movies. And I think that we also like granted people didn't love Ant-Man. I think somehow people are overlooking how amazing Guardians 3 was. It's but like, it's it's unbelievable. But like my my feeling is Marvel just hit three home runs in a row with James Gunn, the Russo brothers, and Taika Waititi, right? And that's a little bit of the same Greta Gerwig thing that we talked about with Barbie. You just get the right person at the right time and let them go nuts, and they do. But like, you can't replicate that over and over and over again. Which yeah, is what they tried to do. Yeah, and it's like you you can't hold it against them that yeah, they just they made some clunkers. The only reason you want to hold it against them is because unlike other movie studios, every movie they make is part of this ongoing story theoretically. They just got big enough that they had to take more swings, not even bigger swings, just more oh. swings. And you're going to strike out sometimes. That's I don't know, that's my feeling. So let me ask you Bill, what what gets you into the movie theater? You know, it's I, it's such a tough question. It's it's something. It's some very ephemeral mix of like what I see in the trailers, the talent behind it, whether that's you know writer, actor, director, 
And then also, yeah, I mean, IP plays a part in it. Um, I'm with Ed. I'm feeling less and less loyal to seeing Marvel stuff in theaters. But, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that Dune, Marvel, DC stuff even, you know, I went and saw The Flash in theaters, even though I really, I don't know that I had high hopes for it. I think what what makes this a difficult answer is like, I'm rethinking that. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like a part of me is like, I would like to reserve more of my movie going money and time for things that I wish they would make more of. And I think for the longest time, you know what I mean? I think for the longest time, most people agreed that that was Marvel movies. And now we're just in this place where it's like the Marvel movies have lost that shine of being, holy shit, I've never seen anything like this before, both aesthetically and from the perspective of, look how they're translating these comics. And so now I'm looking for a new a new thing to really draw me into theaters. Um, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, the scale, I think scale has something to do with it for me. So everything from Dune to Mission Impossible to, you know, even something like Spider-Verse, where it's like they're taking a really fucking big swing, always is going to set my movie theater senses tingling. A little more risk. Is is kind of it's some combination of risk and size and like I would be a hypocrite if I didn't admit, you know, the bigger the budget, the more interested I am in seeing it in theaters, even if maybe I I shouldn't be that way, you know. Yeah, I understand. You you know what would get me mm. into theaters more is if there was more rollerblading in the movies. <laughs> you know, See, I thought I just gotta... I thought you were gonna say more titties because that's the other thing. <laughs> Going back. To... Going back to Ed's point from earlier about those movies that used to make movie stars, where's all the sex gone in movies? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I hear there's some. I hear there's some in Oppenheimer. You know, I hear when the guy busts, they they cut to the bomb blowing up. You know, Um, (laughs) real. uh, It's real. The Werner Herzog is like, I agree. That is a very good metaphor for his orgasmic intensity. (laughs) Uh, But but, but, I love that you went a little Irish at the end there. Perfect. but what i'm saying is though like this this concept of like what what is the what would get us back to movies i also think it used to be um the audaciousness of the concept yeah. i think going back to the audaciousness of the concept even something stupid like the meg okay that's dumb but like what if there was a dinosaur shark swimming around eating people that would be fucking awesome who wouldn't want to see that and like I could, I almost got tempted to go see that shit the other day, like for like, uh, like you know, seven bucks in the in the AM. You know what I mean? But I was like, no, I haven't seen Turtles yet. I can't do that. And that would be yeah. sacrilegious. So then I went to see Turtles the next day, and boy, that turtle shit. Just real quick sidebar: um, this segment is sponsored by uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. Mutant Mayhem, or whatever the fuck. That shit is okay. Hot take: I love Spider Verse. Lord knows Ooh. I do. Uh-oh. Oh, bro, I think this one is as good or better than that second one, and I think it's fucking with that first one. I think the overall, I, the, uh, the overall, like, everything is slanted. There aren't any right angles in the whole fucking movie, it seems oh, like. Oh, it's, be- it's beautiful. I just yeah. love it. And the kids, the kids are, it's the best voice direction and voice acting combination. It's like, it's like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen 
and Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause and Phil mm-hmm. Jackson as like, you know, just coach and player, player and GM. That whole machine, it was pitch perfect. Those those were teenagers. They were yearning for acceptance. They knew some ninja moves, but had never gotten into a fight. And hilarity ensues. And and it's got a good message. The screenplays A plus plus plus. Yep. As far as everybody having a goal, and at the end they reach their goal in these ways that you never saw coming. Jeez Louise, man, that's a movie for your ass. That Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a movie for your ass. Make those, and I'll go see them every time. I will co-sign that and also just point out that some of what you just talked about fits some of the other things we've been talking about in this conversation. So the reason these voice performances were so good is because the production team committed to we are going to record everybody in the same room, which is usually a headache, right? And that's, that's usually something that's reserved for like very specific TV animation because it just becomes a technical nightmare in terms of isolating the voices and and mixing and a lot of things like that. But from what I understand, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who were the executive producers were adamant that that's the only way you can do this and get naturalistic performances from the kids. And it 100,000% works And that is that sort of, hey, we're doing this in a weird, different way. And also pay attention to that. That's part of the marketing of the movie. And that gets you excited. And so you don't need to know the exact plot. And then somewhere along the way, whatever they're doing between the casting and the voice direction, Ice Cube shows up and absolutely fucking murders voice acting in a way that makes you go, how has this dude not been acting in cartoons for fucking years at this point? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't know, man, between the animation style and what they did with the voices and everything, it's it's just another example of, man, this is weird and off and very singular and not a cookie cutter example of how you make these types of movies without even knowing really what the story was. I was in, you know? There's there's That's something cool. to be said for that. I'll be going on uh, in a couple of days, so I'm looking forward to that. And maybe we'll on the Patreon, patreon.com slash the greatest pod. You can check us out talking about maybe uh, Turtles and uh, Mission Impossible uh, a little bit more. Uh, and 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 I'm I, it's interesting, though. I'm just thinking about how important how how important it is to have people who care about the quality of these movies and of the things they're making. Because, you know, Seth loves the Ninja Turtles. Right. He just loves and, it. And is a very, very accomplished comedic writer-producer. Yeah. Right? And so that, like, that's why I say it's sort of the Greta Gerwig thing. It's like you find the right person with the right love for the material who also kicks ass at doing the thing you're hiring them to do. And it's like, just let them... Let them cook, you know? Okay, yeah, that, that that's a great point because we this is very close on the heels of, well, all Turtles things are on the clo- on the heels of another Turtles thing that failed a little bit before. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, we get, we, we've been inundated with Turtle shit since we were little kids, which is kind of crazy now. We're in, going into our dotage, getting the 15th, 27th, 80th fucking iteration of goddamn Ninja Turtles. Ooh, now they have a whole do-rag head thing now, or the, <laughs> then... One of right. them committed to it in this one, and then now that one they got braces, it's like okay, God, Jesus Christ. But like this, I think they finally got it right as to their little accessories. 
and their take on it. But we're just coming off of, of Michael Bay trying to just Michael Bay and his team trying to revolutionize the turtles, make them into this new thing. They were sort of these little, little happy go lucky guys that they're, they're these hulking monsters. Let's take this try. And all I'm saying is it takes more than an audacious take. Cause that Michael Bay shit was an audacious take that sucked it was, ass for sure. So like, like you're talking about bill, it's like you get somebody who's good at that. Like when somebody come, when Michael Bay came in with his take, I would have been like impressed and been like, that's ill. They're like big as a house and they could probably throw Volkswagens at each other. That's fucking baller, dude. Uh, I, I think I want to have you on Fast X because you want to blow shit up for real. And right. this shit is too much CGI. I want you to actually direct. I don't want you to just executive produce. Even if you just executive produce, teach some Simon West type how to blow shit up for real. And then we'll insert the cars, and, you know, do some plates. I don't know. Something. Teach these people how to make, make these movies have real juice now. Real juice and real stunts. But you ain't going to fuck with my turtles because this shit is weird. You know, and that's what I would have. That's what my meeting with Michael Bay about the turtles would have been. And I just don't understand, like, how people can't tell which take is audacious and stupid as fuck versus th- this take is audacious. Again, there's no right angles. People's faces are almost elephant man misshapen because yeah. they're committing to everybody looking like a scribbled drawing in a kid's notebook. It's beautiful and great, but it's a real big swing. There's a cynicism to that Michael Bay audacity, though, that. I don't know, feels like it should be easy to recognize, but maybe it's not when you're in the moment. But like mm-hmm. when your audacious pitch just comes down to, we're going to use the most state-of-the-art motion capture to give you unbelievable CGI, and then we're going to make everything badass. It's going to be loud and violent, and everybody's fucking ripped, and they're having really awesome, like kick-ass martial arts fights. You, at a certain point, you got to hear that and just be like, Ugh. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like that right. guy drank too much Mountain Dew. Yeah, but I but I think that's sort of what we've been circling here is like for so long, the the idea for studio executives was like, yeah, as long as we're using the most kick ass technology and making everything as, you know, sort of straightforwardly cool or badass as we understand that to mean, then we can't lose, man. And I think maybe now we're finding some filmmakers and hopefully even some executives who are like, yeah, that's maybe not the thing. Yeah, Hmm. that's good. I mean, I think those... So what we're talking about, I guess, then in in the future of, of movies is just the idea that People need to be open to trying different things, finding talent that comes up with great ideas, takes big swings, but respects the things that they're doing at the same time that they're taking big swings. Um, and 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 then use, you know, marketing that is subtle uh, and and maybe a, a little bit of a magic trick, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, to get people interested in in and in going into a place and then surprise them when they get in there. That's that's kind of what everything has kind of come down to that you guys have talked about. And and I have to say, that sounds like a solid plan <laughs> to get people into the theater. And I wonder, will anyone continue to do that? Or will it just be sparsely, like, will it just happen from time to time when when it happens? What do you think? I think it's really hard to say 
because of where the industry is at right now. Okay. I think I think the writer's strike in particular is trying to course correct in that direction, you know, not explicitly. It's like they're there's no way that they can bake into their contract like you got to let us take more wild swings and you got to get off our back about it. But yeah. it's like a lot of what they're looking for is more deference to the needs of the writer and by extension the needs of the creative team and really treating them as partners with the studio rather than employees or sort of these cogs in the machine where it's like, well, if this director doesn't work out, we'll slot another guy in at the 11th hour. You know, it, it, it's trying to move away from that whole Brett Ratner gets hired to direct X3 less than a year before it comes out and just has to shit it out in the style that everyone's become accustomed to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's sort of a, an older example of like what the writers are trying to buck against and sort of what we're arguing against here. I don't know though. It's like, I don't know how it all comes out, especially because when we live in this vertically integrated ecosystem where all of these, I mean, not even all, where these couple studios that are left standing are now these multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies. It's like, I don't know how you stop making 200, $300 million movies so that you can make seven, $800 million back on it because that's what looks good on the quarterly report. Yeah. And it's like, when you're investing $300 million, it's very hard to go, I'm going to take this $300 million and just give it to these people and let them go with it. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the rub. No, that makes sense. I, I, I you know, I never really thought, thought about it from that side because I don't think about corporations and I don't think about that investment very often. And maybe I should, because it really is a like, that is a lot of money to give to a, a person or even a group of people and say, yeah, just make a thing and, yeah. and hope that it turns out. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's, you know, that is interesting. That is a, that is a, 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 a an interesting chasm to walk across looking down and being like, there's my $300 million sitting in a creek. Right. And and if you look at the old, sorry, Ed, I know you want to jump mm. in, but just to, to respond to that real quick, if you look at the old studio system, it kind of was that. I mean, number one, they made more movies. Number two, they made cheaper movies. Yeah. Number three, when they actually did bust the budget and make something like a Cleopatra, if it didn't do well, it forced the studio into the verge of bankruptcy. And that's when you saw these studios having to restructure and everything. So, you know, it's hard to convince corporate executives like, oh, no, you got to go back to that. You know? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think maybe part of the future is like these giant LLCs to make a property. Like somebody puts forth $500 million dollars. $500 million will be earmarked to develop said IP into something known enough in the populace. So maybe take 200, 200 million of that to do that with, and then take another hundred million for some other bullshit and then produce a movie with the other $200 million. Cause we worked on the marketing and putting it in zeitgeist and making the IP work. And now we as a corporation have put this $500 million into Tarzan and outer space or whatever the thing we bought, you know, 
And we just do that and we work that and we're not a studio. We're not concerned with all the rest of the products in the world. Nothing could bankrupt us other than this one thing not working. But we really believe in this and we're going to do it. Things like that happen in publishing all the time. There's new Titan Comics bought or rather got the license for Conan. Mm. And I think they're just some guys who are just like, man, fuck it, dog. <laughs> Let's go in and own Conan. And from owning Conan, we could do so much shit. And they're they're doing Savage Sword of Conan, black and white, giant books that are like hella big, like the old magazines used to be. They're going ham on the Conan That's license cool. while they got it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And doing just getting well, the getting is good on Conan. I'm not trying to be pejorative in that. But I'm just saying like something like that strikes my fancy, you know, some some private some hedge fund motherfucker buys the next mission impossible like some hedge fund fuckers just own mission impossible and they develop it with tom cruise and they make that money and it doesn't have to go through and you know what i'm saying you, you know I think that, that could be really me, interesting yeah you know what that makes me think of is um the comic book writer artist sean gordon murphy who's famous for like the batman white knight series recently revealed his next big project is a zorro reboot in the in comics form and he himself, as a person, just contacted the estate that owns Zorro, made them an offer, and bought the license so that he could theoretically self-publish these Zorro comics if he wanted to. And like, damn, that's kind of cool. dope. <laughs> okay, well, uh, offline, we'll talk about what, if we could purchase, maybe on Patreon, we'll talk about what uh, what IP we would purchase if we could purchase it. Like yeah, what I mean, small time it, fun thing that we would like. Don't say it here, Bill. There are no, people no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not going to give it away for free. But <laughs> I'm just. I'm just saying that that's kind of what Ed is talking about, though. Is yeah, like that's interesting. It's it's like a production company not needing a studio partner in order to build out IP, which kind of it's a little bit the model of like Blumhouse or A24. Like we're going to finance and make these things independently and then we'll partner with a studio to distribute it. But the yeah. studio's not coming in and having any say about what we're making. So side note, didn't A24 and possibly Blumhouse also still get to make movies with uh, the Writers Guild and SAG? Because case, they agreed to contracts? No, there's a case-by-case -case basis um, where... Uh, writers and actors were being given waivers. Um, yeah. yeah, so they, they were essentially unstriking specific productions where okay. if it can be shown that like this has no ties to any of the major studios, then yes, you can go and work on it. Okay, cool. I was just yeah. curious about that because I'd read something about it. Um, and I, I wonder if that's, I wonder if there's a way to get away from studios like, is there a way to get away from them and start, you know, putting out movies in a different way? You guys know a little more about this sort of thing. Well, the problem is work? when you when you do it too many times, they buy you. Right. And you also have to deal with distributors. So distributors, yeah. you know, strongly, you know, encourage, you know, I think that whole machine strongly encourages you guys to link up as gangs so like that like that failed ip about the floating cities that were rolling around rolling on the terrain and fighting each other and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's really a tough thing because the studios have spent a really long time creating an oligopoly over distribution. So you essentially cannot get movies in North American theaters um, without going through one of the major studios. Wow. And usually that means if you can't get a movie to open in any in North America, 
especially if you're making it and you're American, you're not going to get foreign distribution. Nope. Because nope. foreign distribution for indie movies is often predicated on like, look, this is how much we made in the States. So there's some kind of built-in word of mouth financial cushion. And, you know, then that makes it an easier bet for the far smaller, more competitive foreign markets. So it's Absolutely. like, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. That's like you, that could happen. And arguably should and well, no, but arguably like Netflix, Amazon, YouTube, even kind of did that, but they, they broke the studio stranglehold by essentially creating an entirely new form of distribution. Yeah. Okay. So let's exactly. get into it then. Do we think streaming let me say this for my personal, uh, I say, the question is, do we think streaming will mess up movie theaters? And let me say this. I don't think I have gone to a comedy in a movie theater that was a strictly a comedy uh, since Hangover. Sure. And and I don't think I ever will again. <laughs> yeah, until, and I, until and I somebody... Like comedies. But I'm saying, like, until somebody makes something that's sort of as singularly unique as that first Hangover, where it's like, it's a comedy, but it's also kind of an adventure movie, and it's also a mystery, and it feels yeah. like a Steven Soderbergh caper, you know. Like, and also when you put movie stars in those, it is mm. so rare that yeah. you have like, imagine like a new age version of the big chill that was ridiculously funny. Like people are vomiting in the aisles type funny or bridesmaids level funny starring fucking George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Rachel Vice, Emily Blunt, John yeah, Krasinski yeah, yeah. and fucking some black people for Christ's sake. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And you, you put it out and you make this movie about this, whatever. And all these stars are in it and it's super funny. I guarantee you people would go to the movies to see that movie. But they never do it. The closest you get is like 80 for Brady with like Ugh. the oldest golden girl bitches in the world going to do some farce in the movies to go see Brady or whatever. And it's like what Jane Fonda and and Lily Tomlin and some damn body. You know what I mean? Like that's the closest they do. You hardly ever get stars together to do a comedy, which is why the Will Ferrell projects and stuff were really cool because it would be like him and Mark Wahlberg or him and. You know, it, or him and John C. Riley to me, that's two stars. I love oh, yeah. that stuff until the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Well, he sort of, I mean, they sort of created their own little repertory companies. Like Adam McKay and mm -hmm. Will Ferrell always worked with the mm -hmm. same people. And like, you loved seeing those guys. Same thing with Sandler. He always works with all the same people. And you just love seeing those guys together. Yeah. I also, I also think part of where this dovetails again with our conversation about what brings people to theaters is like, the movie I can see maybe breaking the comedies failing at the box office curse is whatever this rom-com with Sidney Sweeney and the kid from Top Gun Maverick turns out to be because there's a meta story around it. Yeah. They Did they have a steamy affair on set? Their chemistry is unbelievable. Is her, is her uh, engagement on or off? He, he got a divorce from his wife. Like, that meta story captured so much fucking attention, even if even if it's from that specific demographic, that it's mm -hmm. like that sort of thing brings people out. You know what I mean? 
Huh. So, so maybe we're talking about now in the new age with social media, what is, what gives something enough spectacle for us to go see in the movies? And one of the, one of the main ideas I've always had is do you a pretty expensive looking, uh, series, sci-fi series, and then the giant three hour ending of the whole shit, you got to go see at the movies in IMAX period. Oh, and that's they, that's they got you. So you cannot, it will not ever stream. It's not going to stream. It's not going to stream for 90 days or whatever the fuck window is. But come on, man. We made it bigger. We spent more money on it. We did this. And all these plot lines are coming to. I think you'd make your own end games to a certain degree with these different fan bases. Like if you had like a really strong series, you know, like a, if the, if the, if the um, climax of Strange New Worlds was on at movie theaters, I'd go see it. Yeah. I, I like that series enough to do that. Yeah. You know, well, I, I don't know. My girl is no. like eight episodes ahead of me. So yeah, I, 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 in theory I would, but I definitely would for some other shows that I've, that I've seen. I definitely would. Yeah. yeah it's well, the question of like, does the show carry a big enough audience to justify the cost and the, you know, the cost, the cost of distribution, essentially like mm-hmm. getting it out into theaters. Did exactly. you guys see no hard feelings? No. Jennifer Lawrence one. I, I wanted to see that. And I, got I did. Busy. I wanted to as well, and I feel like that came and went from theaters. But also, I thought it I was, it was like—I I thought it—I thought it actually did fairly well. Like it—it it it didn't did. exceed expectations, but it met expectations, which is good. Mm-hmm. It made eighty-five point one at the box office, and I'm sure it didn't cost that yeah. much yeah. to make. Yeah, so. that's another one, though. I would just argue, and it's—it's it's not anything big and gaudy, but it had a meta story behind it, which is. Jennifer Lawrence is coming back to movies. She took a break because she had a kid and she was just living her life. And the last time everybody kind of got sick of her and she knew it. And so like, can she come back and carry a movie now? Like just that whole question of like, can Jennifer Lawrence save theatrical comedies? Having that discussion that can take place around the movie. That's not even about the movie. It's sort of a discussion around the movie I think is a huge marketing coup. And that's the same thing as Tom Cruise jumping his motorcycle off the cliff. That's the same thing as Christopher Nolan with the 11 mile long IMAX film. It's like, you gotta have that meta narrative of not just what is the movie, but like, what did they do to make the movie? Where does the movie fit into the larger cultural paradigm as with Barbie? You know, it's Mm -hmm. even just something as shitty as uh, I say shitty, but I mean, as sort of brainless as like, oh my God, all of Margot Robbie's outfits on all, in all these premieres that they did for Barbie and like how amazing does she look? And she looks like a real life Barbie. Like that gets people hyped because that's the shit that gets shared to, from here till Tuesday. Like yeah. that's, that's a huge part of this. All right. Yeah. So my idea for the G.I. Joe premiere is everybody's in their, their Sunday best talking a bunch of stuff and then cobra breaks in and punches the lady who's fucking interviewing people about their clothes in the mouth and there's a <laughs> blood trail from her face as she leaves frame so you know it's real it's a squib but you know it's real so she's like got rocked in her shit and all these like I cobra and then snake eyes and drops then- down and there's a whole routine he's doing jackie chan he kicks all their fucking asses and then they ask him what he's wearing, and he doesn't say anything because he's fucking snake eyes. And then he flips off the Hummer, and him and his wolf leave. And, and that's Sergeant like the way Slaughter you do it. Pops in and is, breaks up the whole fight and says, "Kids, fighting people is not cool. Knowing it's half the battle." <laughs> and then that's 
Yep. Maybe. And that's 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 what we do at the at uh, when we're doing like press for GI Joe. You know, because you're right, it's spectacle, and like you know, if you don't go see GI Joe, the terrorists really do win. So you have to come armed to the theaters. No, no, no. Jesus. This, 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 is, this could go real bad real quick. Uh, note to self, don't let Ed market any of the shit we do. Uh. Hey, man, I, he could try it at a small town. Um, I, I just think that, I, I yeah, you, we're right. We're going to have to get more audacious with all the rest of these movies in the marketing. Yeah, it's, I, but starting a conversation know. is great. Like, uh, you got me thinking about... Uh, the the last one of the early episodes you guys did um uh without me i hate you no i'm just kidding mm. uh it was uh it was the greatest duos mm. um and and you were talking about um survivor at the end where you're talking about survivor and who would be the best uh in survivor and it was uh barbara gordon in the end in that then the bat family you know all, all of that stuff you guys were talking about but what was interesting about that is that really that was marketing for Survivor, because what it did was it got you <laughs> thinking about Survivor and how it works and Fair. then having conversations about it with people. That's that's what I'm saying. And I don't I don't think it it's like you need to do audacious stunts. I sort of yeah. think this is the replacement for the movie star. It's not that you're mm. because the movie star used to be sort of this untouchable person. It was all glamour and, and exclusivity. Right. Like, oh, they lived a life you could never touch. And I sort of think social media has just ruined that mystique completely. Like, yeah, you mm. can't disappear into roles. You can't be this sort of ephemeral, mysterious. Like, what are they really like? What would it be like to go to dinner with that person? You know, that doesn't exist anymore. And yeah. I think in place of that, you have to have these real life narratives that people latch on to. And whether that's something like, holy shit, I need to watch this show because these people fucking cheated on each other and they're getting a divorce and I need to see it play out. I mean, the same thing happened with Kim Kardashian and Kanye. Like that gave the Kardashians a shot in the arm. Or it's something like, oh, man, they did this stunt for real or like the the shit they traveled to this remote island. I mean, I remember even as far back as Star Wars, The Force Awakens, the whole idea that they you know, they made such hay out of, they went to that small island in the North Sea that was totally inaccessible and they had to do it with a skeleton crew. It's it's those narratives outside of the movie itself that sort of takes the place of celebrity as we once knew it. Well, okay, but let's talk about, let's talk about the other part though, which is the audaciousness of concept. Because even if we're talking about Making making a movie out of a doll is in and of itself audacious. I think it is. We we think of it as just a regular idea idea because they try to make IP out of everything, but they kind of really don't. That's the whole point of development is that they take you know fucking Polly Pocket has been you know open until now. They just now put it in development after this Barbie Barbie stuff. So you're kind of right, Ron, when you're talking about hey. What the fuck? It's gonna these sort of copycats that cannot be like Barbie. What whatever Polly Pocket is is not whatever Barbie is. So, but the point is having people take some take on these things, but finding the ones to take a take on really is a big fucking deal. You know what I yeah. mean? Like fi- finding the things that are worth trying to storyfy. You know. Well, I, I think about the fact that you know they made the emoji movie. That's every bit as 
audacious as making a Barbie movie. It's, but to your point, Ed, it's more about like, what can you really do with the concept of living emojis versus mm -hmm. what can you really do with the concept of living Barbie? And right. even just the fact that Barbie, again, I, I'm I, maybe I'm obsessed with the idea of meta narratives, but I see it there too. The mm -hmm. fact that Barbie has such a known presence in culture with such a long tail, it you can tell a story within the context of what Barbie already is. Whereas exactly. You can't tell a story in the context of emojis. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So like when yeah. you look at the stuff, I'm saying like, so there is an audaciousness even to doing IP. So there's got to be an extra audaciousness to creating IP, i.e., mm -hmm. Fast and the Furious, I think, is one of the few created IPs in our fucking lifetimes that are competing with any of this shit. I'm sure. thinking, like, fucking Snakes on a Plane, if they do that right, they're still doing those movies, I bet. And I'm just yeah. thinking, like, man, uh, fuck it. Sharks on a Train. You know what I mean? Like, so, something odd. I, I, some crazy bullshit like that. Sharks. Okay, we're taking sharks to Mars because we're terraforming it and we have new oceans and we're going to see if they thrive or whatever. Oops, an asteroid hit us in space. Now all the hallways are full of fucking sharks and we have to get it at a zero G. So like they're, they're busting out of big water bubbles and shit. Yeah. I go see that. I would go see that stupid as that is right off the top of my head. I'm going to see that audaciousness of concept needs to come back. Okay. Yeah. But, and, but And on a meta narrative, you know, Neil, Neil uh, uh, Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson is going to be like the science wouldn't work in that. Uh, yeah, immediately, he gets eaten uh, like Sam Jackson. In there and then, yeah, yeah. He, okay, he but gets me, eaten like Sam Jackson. <laughs> yes, but let me bring this back to something that actually happened: Cocaine Bear, right? Yeah, Cocaine Bear is one of these just audacious on the face of it concepts, and it has the extra added juice of, to some extent, it's based on a true story, and that gives you your meta narrative. Like, mm -hmm. are you fucking kidding? How is this based on a true story? What is this real story? That's the thing that you're talking about around the movie for weeks. The problem was mm -hmm. that movie was just bad. It and was. like it did not have it didn't have an aesthetic, right? It was just shot like a TV show and it didn't it didn't live up to the promise of its own audaciousness. Like yeah. that's the thing that Barbie did, right? You're making a Barbie movie and the from frame 1 when I'm looking at this trailer this is more Barbie than anything I could even conceptualize as being mm -hmm. Barbie. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and that I, I feel like if cocaine bear would have actually stuck the landing, you could have seen a whole new genre of like half serious, half satirical takes on bizarre news stories turned into dude, movies. Dude. I, and with the advent of the internet, that's what we're talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I, okay. One off the top of my head. That fucking elephant, right? There was this chick. She pissed off an elephant. The elephant got beat her up and killed her, I guess. Then the elephant came to her fucking funeral and fucked her funeral up. This is a story that happened in another country. And it's like, okay, just make it happen to Americans so people care. Boom, you got your movie. Revenge, revenge elephant. elephant. Yeah. Elephant, <laughs> revenge, revenge elephant. Re re revenge elephant, what whatever. And, you know, it, it, these news stories that come out, you know, I just think that that would be uh, Tiger King. I think if Tiger King mm -hmm. had it came out like, uh, no, nah, I think it did what it's supposed to do because they actually did make a TV movie out of it. But I think in the new future, if something like that happens again, they'll hold off for a real movie to try to see if they can open a movie with it. 100%. I mean, if 
if you would have made a Tiger King movie with the right aesthetic and with the right over-the-top flair before they ever made that documentary, that movie could have been a surprise hit. You know, mm-hmm. could have mm-hmm. came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm glad we uh, this was a great conversation, guys. You're all very smart uh, and thoughtful. And and uh, and I, I don't know about you guys, but we're we're all fans of movies. So so we want we want people to be going to the movie theaters because we want to continue to do it. And make no mistake, if at some point people stop going to the movies and only watching movies on streaming services, movie theaters will have to shut down. Oh, more than that, as has been proven over the past year and a half, uh, the studios will also shut down because they cannot make profit on streaming services. Like, that's what Bob Iger means when he says, like, I can't believe that they're going on strike now. This is the worst time. Yeah, Bob. (laughs) It's because you and everybody else in your position decided it was more important to knock off Netflix than figure out how to make your company profitable. So now you've got these streaming services that don't justify their own costs, let alone make you money. So that's Mm -hmm. the other piece of this whole conversation is like saving movies is also a little bit about just saving the industry. This isn't about like, oh, no, AMC is going to go out of business. So sad for them. No, it's like the American movie industry is going to run out of money unless they figure out something else to do with their product. Either that, or you're going to start paying like $50 for every streaming service subscription. Well, and I've got a, I've got a good hint for all of you guys. This is what you do. Uh, Make them all free again and put fucking advertisements back. Make it regular goddamn TV. No, look, I know, I know. But the fact is, and look, we're, we go through podcasting. We We are podcasting and guys, we need you to share this as much as possible because at some For point sure. I want to sell you underwear. Sorry. That's Look, what I, one of the things I want to do is sell you some motherfucking underwear. I need you to buy that underwear so that we can have some motherfucking money up in this bitch. And that's what you should do with TV. The TV was have, making plenty of money when there yeah. was advertising. Here's my problem. We can't have gone through, gone through all of this just to recreate cable tv in the 90s like <laughs> we can't but we're literally going to have to that is the least satisfying meta narrative i can place on this entire enterprise <laughs> you know what i i i don't hate to say it i think i agree with ron because yeah. like I, I i what's what's really the most horrific part about it is because you know both you and i uh bill at least well you watch you got you me and you watch football Fucking uh, Ron watches football. I watch basketball. I don't know that you guys actually watch basketball that much, but the bottom line is basketball and shit like that are stupid profitable. This dude named Jalen Brown on the Celtics who can't even dribble with his left hand got a $200 million contract. He got a $200 million contract. That do you, If they give him $200 million, they're making billions upon billions upon billions, oh, yeah, and yeah. they're making that from the motherfucking TV deal. So they get money from TV. Why does TV want to buy the shit at all? So they can play the shit for advertisements. And why do advertisements even work on basketball games and shit? Because the only thing anybody gives a fuck about live 
I don't give a fuck about your live premiere. I don't give a fuck about buying a ticket to go see your movie the first of anything. Nobody gives a fuck about that anymore. But boy, some people really care if they missed LeBron's latest foray into the lane. Oh, I got to see it in real time. And they'll suffer through all the Buffalo Wild Wings commercials on God's green earth to get to that moment of seeing LeBron, you know, get fouled in the end and no call. As a TV junkie. Because I watch more TV than I probably did movies as a kid because I just couldn't afford to go to many movies at that time. I still saw as many as I could, especially when I started movie, working at a movie theater. But, but before that, I was just a TV junkie. And here's the thing. If you missed an episode of something, you had to find out when it was replaying somewhere. When mm. were they going to do the reruns so that I could catch up on the episode I missed? And then I had to go and wait for that time period, or I had to be dedicated to watching the show at that time. Lance is one of my best friends. I've known him since I was six. We had Batman time where we, at 3 p.m., you did not come in our house. We did not answer the phone. You did not talk to us because we were watching Batman the animated series, and you best not fuck that up because we did not want to miss an episode. And guess what they had during that time? You're going to hate to hear it advertising I know. all kinds of shit <laughs> I know. well and but and obviously we obviously know that that's not coming back but i will i will pitch one last thing as we get out of here i think a very very short movie seeing window that is packed and then it's it's going to be gone for like 120 days like renegotiate yes. that thing or something like that yeah. so where like it incentivizes people to go it incentivizes them to go in groups and stuff and if they don't want to be around a bunch of goddamn bums we'll just rent out a theater Run out of theater and get all your fucking friends to go. Have your own fucking private super cool screenings. I think that and making the movie theaters obviously more like, hey, smoke some fucking weed in here. Do some heroin. Fucking whatever. Uh, mm. Eat a whole bucket of chicken. Who gives a fuck? This is, your, this is your movie theater. I think if you're doing that with your buddies, if you can encourage people to do this sort of family thing. Uh, in the movies, I, I, I don't envy the people that's going to clean up the theaters afterwards. Just spitballing here. <laughs> I'm just saying, making it a family atmosphere, making it a, uh, and making it at least, you know, maybe it'll cost fifteen dollars less to take your whole family, but you think you're getting some great deal, and you want to get everybody together and go see it. And and again, the window's short. So yeah. if if your woman doesn't want you to see it without them, and she doesn't want to see it without her cousin, and they don't want to see it without her fat husband, and he's over the group, you can figure it out. Figure yeah. out the time to go see it. I think that would really influence the box office. People would be in packed theaters again. They'd feel like they were seeing like a Broadway show or something. Yeah. Again, I, don't, I think that's feeling lost. Don't don't put out a, like a like treat it like a DVD back in the day. Remember when we had to wait a year to get a whole to get a DVD of whatever movie you wanted to rewatch over and over again? Make well, that happen again. One hundred percent. I mean, that's why you, as I recall, that's why you went to the theater because. Yeah. You you would lose the opportunity to see that movie until it was no longer even relevant. So it's like yeah. when I was a twenty something packing in to see movies in the two thousands, it was because I needed to see this before it was gone. Yeah, look, Bob yeah. Iger, I know you're listening to our podcast. Yeah. Uh, hire us, <laughs> uh, give us millions of dollars to start organizing <laughs> your guys's uh, successes, and uh, everything will go well for you. I promise. Well, the, the 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 worst part about all this thing that that we've said is we've just spent about an hour and some change arguing for the return of Disney's fucking weird DVD prison they used to have. Remember the, the, the oh. Disney Vault? Oh yeah, we spent an hour and some minutes arguing for the return of the Disney Vault. That's and what I I'm think saying that, over here. That in and of itself 
is is a I don't know, what, is there something uh, anti triumph? Anyway, thank you guys for listening to this. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode about the future of filmmaking. Drop your comments uh, on our the YouTube uh, of this eventually. Uh, also, send us letters at email the greatest pod at gmail.com email the greatest pod at gmail.com and like i say all the time make a fucking account on all these services and leave us reviews and five-star ratings uh, also check out our patreon patreon.com slash the greatest pod we ha- we dive more in depth if you can possibly imagine into a bunch of different ideas and uh more personal stuff as well if you want to get on that patreon patreon.com slash the greatest pod Oh, and also buy Ron's comedy album on the wing oh, of a dragon. Please. It is available across all media on Spotify on everything. So get on it on the wing of a dragon and the super cool uh, art drawn by me. And without further ado, thank you for turning down the lights, cranking your sound system, sitting down with a bucket of popcorn and some junior mints to listen to our future of filmmaking episode of the greatest. Oh!